Hello strangers and welcome to a belated episode 47 of Strangers in a Cinema, a podcast about films with myself Paul Anderson and Pete Wall. Yeah, we you say we're belated. I mean, I guess we just had a week off, didn't we? Because I had we better, did, yes. I had better things to do. I wanted to go abroad and sit in the sun for a while, so I couldn't bother to do this. And, but now I'm back. And and in fairness, I say belated. We did let people know we would be off for a week. So actually, maybe not belated, or maybe just so, episode forty-seven. Yeah, dry your eyes. We're back now. <laughs> episode forty-seven's here. Uh, the Strangers in Cinema podcast. Uh, excited to be doing it. Loads of stuff to talk about as ever. Um, we'll start the episode within the foyer section where we will discuss something from the world of films. I think, Paul, you've got something on your mind this week. Then we'll get into our um, regular feature, Popcorn Movies, in which Paul and I are going to throw back and forth reviews of films that we've seen in the last... Uh, well, it would usually be seven days. This time it's going to be sort of 14 days. Although I've seen most of them in the last two or three days, I think, you've since done well, returning from my holiday. the time you've been away, you've done, you've done well playing catch-up. I'll, I'll give you credit there, Pete. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, then we'll get into coming attractions, where we'll preview a couple of movies that are coming your way in the next few few months uh, we'll get on to features this week we've got two feature reviews um, we'll really get into a dialogue and have a, a bit more of a detailed discussion about those two I think films what, you, what, what did you want to call the episode this week's episode the precocious child episode I think was yeah the, yeah the, was the, the, the precocious child episode perhaps is a, as a subtitle for episode 47 <laughs> um, and yes we've got reviews of both gifted and the book of Henry so you can see the theme emerging between those two perhaps if you know anything about either of those two films when we're done with our features, we will get finally to the homework section where Paul and I, every time that we meet for this show, set each other a film-based piece of homework that we have to do or watch in the time before the next episode. We've also got our reviews of the previously set homework during the popcorn movie section of today's show. Yes. So, without wasting any more time, Paul, let's get into the foyer. Let me know what's on your mind this week. You brought something up that you wanted to discuss, and what, what is that? So, what I want to discuss this week, and if you are into films, you'd probably be having to live under a rock if you haven't noticed this. Um, this is the firing uh, by Lucasfilm of Phil Lord and Christopher Miller uh, from the directorial duties on the Han Solo spin-off movie. Um, now, the the... I think, well, creative differences have creative differences have been cited, and it seems to me that there's been a big fallout with the screenwriter Lawrence Castan um, about the tone in which the film was going to take. Um, now, this is obviously, I think, for me, Pete, it's a concern. You know, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. Fan. I think it's a concern that obviously directors are being fired, kind of mid shooting, and I know shooting has has. Take, taken place already and they are going to be replaced by Ron Howard mm. um, what, where do you stand on kind of direct you know this kind of swap of directors mid film and we can get into a bit more of maybe why they've done it after after we hear your thoughts on it But yeah I mean it, it seems to me that the first reaction that we'd have most of the time when you hear this kind of news is it's disruptive right it's something that's going to upset the apple cart perhaps on a production like this on the other hand is it maybe if the project's going in the direction that the um, that the powers that be don't want it to go in? Perhaps is it better to cut things short and replace the director earlier rather than later to try and pull the project back from maybe yeah veering off in the wrong direction? I mean, we've seen plenty of examples of where directors have been changed mid shoot. Mm. In my memory, and it is unreliable at, at the best of times, I don't remember many examples, and maybe you can help me out, but many examples where that's actually turned out to be a greatly beneficial thing. To me, it seems like the first thing I posited in this um, this little monologue is maybe it, it upsets things more than it 
Then no, I think the most recent the most recent memory for me would be Ant Man, where Edgar Wright uh, left you to creative differences, and was the film was picked up by Peyton Reed. I thought Ant Man was okay, um, but certainly did have some weird shifts in tone to it. I think, and I think ultimately the film probably would have been better with Edgar Wright, but would it have been would it have been what Marvel wanted? Probably not. Um, in this case, though, with Star Wars, I think because the person that they've had their disagreements with are Lawrence Castan. Now, he was quite heavily involved in the writing of both Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm. So this guy fucking knows Star Wars. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe, and obviously if Kathleen Kennedy's got involved, then she knows Star Wars. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe this isn't necessarily a bad thing, because as much as I like Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, and we're very excited to see what they bring to the is this, table. Can I check, is this Phil Lord, like 22 Jump Street, yeah, Lego Movie? Lego Movie, yeah, yeah. Lord, yeah. So it's those two guys. So, and Cowardly I think, with a Chance of Meatballs as well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah absolutely, really yeah. So, and I think that they've, they've made some great films. Um, and there is also a rumour that, that I read today that... Um, Elden, I've completely forgotten how to pronounce his surname uh, now. The the main guy who's playing Han Solo, yeah. uh, apologies, because I've completely forgotten his name off the top of my man. head. Um, he also apparently has privately expressed some concerns that maybe they've taken it into taken the film in too much of a comedic direction. Right. So 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 maybe this is a good thing, is what so, I'm getting at. Uh, maybe don't jump to conclusions. So we now bring forward um, your new director, Ron Howard. Now, Ron Howard is a director with um, a patchy track record, shall we say? I mean, really well-known, um, established film director, but then the film director who brought us In the Heart of the Sea just a couple of years ago, which was just interminably like dull and horrendous. But it's the same film director that brought us Rush. True, yeah. So, so he's, he's inconsistent, I'll give him that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe in the choice of material, but then a project like Star Wars is within such clearly defined parameters that maybe we're going to see the, the better work of, of Ron Howard here, do you think? I mean, you're in a better place than me to answer that question because I, I'm less of a, an acolyte of the I don't necessarily think this will be quite the disaster it's being made out to be by, by a lot of people um, because I think that... I think that Phil Lord and Christmas input and their their blueprint, their kind of DNA, were, were this far into production are still going to be certainly still be on the movie in some way, and I think if if you're going to bring a director in midway through, that no disrespect to Ron Howard doesn't really have an autorial style that I can really define any personally. Have you have you not and seen think, have you not seen Angels and Demons and Inferno? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think actually in terms of in terms of if you're going to bring a director on board that has made so many films and it just know and just really knows how to run a set and really is like the consummate professional then actually Ron Howard could be a good bet here so we shall see yeah favorite Ron Howard Apollo 13 I think I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back a little bit at Splash it's gotta be Splash that's fair Splash is a good one but Apollo so, 13 is Ron Howard isn't it I'm just it not, is yeah, yeah no you're absolutely yeah, right not, yeah 1995 so yeah 10 years removed from, from Splash um so Bring us out of the foyer and into our popcorn section. Paul, let's get into it. Let's review some films. Um, yeah, we've been away from the mic for two weeks. We've got a lot to talk about. You kick us off. What have you watched? You've watched an absolute shitload of films. Let's right, be so, completely so just before we get into the popcorn movies, I want to update people on where I am on my mission to watch 365 films this year. At the moment, I have watched 190 films this year. The 190th film I watched was Kez, which I'm not going to talk about today, but probably will talk about in a future episode. That, I believe, puts me 
13 or 14 films in credit on where I need to be for the year. So I'm on currently 190 different films watched But the year. deficit that you owe to like your relationship and your social life is, you know, insurmountable probably at this point, is it not? Yeah. Have um, you been outside my, in the last couple of my months? My girlfriend's left me. Um, <laughs> I, in, in the, heat, the heat wave we had while you were on holiday, uh, the timing of which satisfied me greatly, I hasten to add. The heat wave we had when you were on holiday, I spent in the cinema. Yeah. Uh, I don't deal well with the heat. Um, as you can see from the room that we're sitting in, surrounded by all this, um, all this very geeky paraphernalia, you know, I'm kind of an indoors guy anyway. So, uh, so no, I've not really missed being outside. Um, my relationship hasn't really been harmed that much. Laura's been very understanding and is watching the films with me. So more, more power to her. Yeah, well, get, so gives her a break. It's going nothing right. else, yeah. right? It means she doesn't have to put, just doesn't have to listen to me. So cool. So yes. you know, for all of this film watching, we've got to get something from it. What can yes. we harvest? Surely a review. I mean, what what's your we first can. pick for this we week? We can. So as I said, bearing in mind bearing in mind that you've been away, um, my two choices of popcorn films this week are probably ones that may have been featured otherwise but are not um, but they are recent cinema releases so the first of which uh, being Jonathan Toplitsky's Churchill right this this is the kind of film that immediately strikes me as dull was it dull uh, t- tell me about it man because it's yeah I saw this I, I like we've been talking about I went off on holiday and I missed a couple of things at the cinema at least on release I, I, it felt like homework and not in the good strings in a cinema sense in a kind of drag yourself through two hours of I'm going whatever. to attempt to do the entire review oh, of Churchill in the voice in which Brian Cox's Churchill speaks every single line that he utters okay it's going to be a 30 second review there right yes I'm, in fact I'm not <laughs> going to do that because I, I don't think I've got the energy to do it but so Churchill basically tells the Churchill basically tells the story of Winston Churchill uh, in the sort of the latter half of the war where the Americans have got involved um, have taken have taken control and Churchill's kind of losing control he's against the idea he's against the idea of the the sort of final push across Europe um, wants to split the the kind of D-Day landings into smaller sections um, and really is kind of it's almost like he's his, his power's waning um, and he's being overruled which is quite an interesting subject to see a guy that that's previously run run the war um, and it's quite an interesting period of time to pick him up. And actually, I learnt a thing or two about Churchill kind of clashing with the Americans. You learnt a thing or two? I did. I did learn a thing or but two was about it dull? World War II. But was it dull, though? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it was dull. Okay. Um, the, op- the opening scenes, the first half is, is fairly good, I think. And kind of it's it kind of provides like an interesting setup with, with Dunkirk coming very soon. It kind of provides an interesting setup to that as well. Um, the problem with it is, and I think it's a problem that's going to... Uh, um, impact of pretty much all the films that we talk about today is that it's so overwrought. Mm. So, for example, Churchill would go, I'm off to the toilet now! And Brian Cox delivers every line of dialogue, no matter how inane the line of dialogue is, as I'm a great leader and I am Winston Churchill and I would like a cup of tea now, please. And it's just everything that he says is delivered in that way. And it's like we understand that Churchill is an important figure. I entirely get that. Brian Cox's performance is actually quite good, except the director's obviously going, no, say it more earnestly, shout it, shout it, Brian, shout it. Um, and it just becomes everything, it becomes so overwrought that you lose sight of what is supposed to be important and what isn't. And it just, by the end, it feels like, you know, you kind of, people criticise the, the, the kind of the Americans for having kind of jingoistic flag-waving films. Yeah. If this isn't a jingoistic kind of, 
Brexit supporting. Like, it just it to me it, it just felt... it just it just feels like it feels like a film. It feels like a film that's been put together in the wake of the Brexit vote to go look why England's great because Churchill is such a great Britain and I am Churchill and Churchill yeah, and, the, and bring back the empire and all this kind of there's thing. something that seems innately cynical about releasing this film at this time and maybe that's that's too suspicious of an attitude to have but to me it seems like exactly as you're saying that right where we are now in sort of British politics which is an absolute fucking quagmire let's be yes. completely honest got even worse today but uh, <laughs> yeah that you know something like this is just going to sort of solidify the feelings of a population particularly of the sort of over it's, it's certainly over aimed 50s at, it's certainly aimed the, at the, the grey pound shall we say it's, it's, it's certainly aimed at that kind of and our, and and our brave Brexiteers and it's a shame masses. really because there's there's a the, the first half is really good the opening shots where he's kind of visiting the beach and you get kind of him standing on the beach and then they phase in like the bodies on the beaches and stuff like that it's actually very good some of it's actually very well put together it's a shame. It, it, there's there's the germ of a good film in here. It's just so overwrought. It, it misses, mm. misses the mark, unfortunately. Well, um, my first pick for this week, completely different, is uh, a film that I've meant to see for a long, long time. Uh, one in uh, one of many from the Spanish film director Pedro Almodovar. Um, I'm familiar with his work. I've seen. I don't know now at this point, a half dozen or, or more of his films, but I've really got these gaps in his back catalogue yeah. that I wanted to, to patch. So one that I have for this week's review is What Have I Done to Deserve This? Or the Spanish title, which I'm not even going to attempt because it will be... Oh, come on, I try and you crack uh, me, you slam me okay, on pronunciation. I saw, Give it a go. I saw Que he esto yo para merece esto. I don't think that's too bad to be pretty, pretty good, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what have I done to deserve this? Stars uh, Carmen Mara, who is the actress sort of most well-known until Penelope Cruz. Just to, give me, just to give me an idea of where we sit in the Almodovar. 1984. Okay, so this, uh, earlier... Like, um, tie me up, tie me, tie me down kind of time. Yeah, I think that was a, yeah. just afterwards. But yeah, yeah. Th that early period yeah. of his work okay. anyway. And um, in the accompanying material with the, the Blu-ray that I watched, there were a number of sort of... Um, luminaries from Spanish film criticism saying that of the early Almodovar work this is their favourite now obviously they're included on the disc for a yeah. reason but this is a, a wonderful wonderful piece of work okay. um, if you know his stuff you'll know that it, there's a lot of um, themes that re-emerge amongst Almodovar films those namely maybe being uh, sort of female empowerment uh, female characters discussing their lives and interacting without the incursion maybe of too many male characters male characters that exist on the periphery usually um posited as sort of negative influences in the world yes, I, would, um, I would agree with that but then yeah. also sort of a lot of um racy material uh kind of sexual content without being like lurid in any way um and a lot of comedy and a lot of like humor there's the film is basically about the the central character is like a put upon housewife she has two kids who are going a bit wayward she has a husband who doesn't care for her too much and just wants the dinner on the table on time um she also lives with her mother-in-law who is just like a, a kind of um, miserable just bag of a woman who is obsessed with having um fizzy water and like sucking chicken bones and sitting on the sofa not really contributing too much to the household so the what the title what have i done to deserve this is all about the way in which her life is giving her um a less than ideal circumstances let's say right there's a sequence quite early on where we cut away and Almodovar does this I think with some regularity we cut away to a sort of bit of melodrama on a Spanish yeah. fictional television show um, 
and the, I don't want to spoil the section because I hope people get to see this film but the way it's handled is just so sort of pointed and funny and snappy and then he's able to jump out of that kind of comic relief right back into the storyline that we were with before we went in um, Carmen Mara is fantastic she's great in a load of our stuff the supporting cast is really really strong um, some of the filming I mean this is a he's a in his 30s when he made this film perhaps even a little younger some of the actual camera work can be a little bit um shaky at times some of the material I found that with him I said time me up time me down I think it's probably the earliest effort of his I've seen and I would agree with that if yeah I'm not not necessarily low low budget a bit rough around the edges yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I suppose it probably is low budget at that point. In this yeah, fairness, so. yeah, and he gets away with a, an amazing amount here that you feel like other filmmakers in the mid nineteen eighties just wouldn't. And mm. so there's so much like life in a Pedro Almodovar film that, yeah, I, I really do recommend this. And I think if you haven't seen anything of his, I mean, where would you start? Because it probably wouldn't be here for me. Um, I don't know. Maybe start with like. Uh, 90s later 90s on one of our films. Talk to her, I think, would be a good. Talk starting to her, point. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. a good starting point, and then go back, and jump back from up, there. End up somewhere around the skin I live in because that's pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, th this yeah, was... talk, talk to her. I think would be a good starting point for anyone who hasn't experienced the director. I think this was really good, and I recommend it. It's uh, what have I done to deserve this? Paul, what have we got next? Uh, talking of films that are really good, and I heartily recommend it. Brings me to no wait, no, 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 no. Just wait. I apologise, listeners. Uh, it brings me to. Transformers, The Last Night. Um, Did Pedro Almodovar direct that as well? Uh, no, it was Michael Bay, again. Oh, okay, I get them mixed up um, quite often. Yes, again it was Michael Bay. Um, so you're probably going to expect listeners for us to go, you're going to go, oh, here they go, here they tear into Transformers, what a surprise. I haven't even oh, seen it, mate, and I probably never will. No, uh, and you shouldn't. Um, what we've got here is the fifth entry in Michael Bay's Transformers series, um, and as listen, regular listeners of the show will know, I'm very fond of the uh, original Transformers and not particularly fond of the Michael Bay films. Um, that being said, though, as I said when we were talking about coming attractions, I see a trailer and I go, oh, look, maybe this is the one that will be better. Um, it is better than some of the other films, but not by very much. Um, the the pre the premise is kind of uh, the premise is kind of irrelevant really lots of robots kind of beat each other up but I will try and set this up very briefly uh, it starts with King Arthur uh, there's a medallion that fixes itself to Mark Wahlberg's arm and slides in at one point in a really creepily and provocative way around his six pack I think uh, while someone while a woman pervs over him uh, and then it kind of turns into a it turns his arm into a sword or some such shit. Of course it does. Um, yes. So and then he's a knight, uh, and Optimus Prime is a bad guy. But then oh shit, he's a good guy again. Um, and yes. Um, why did a, you do this to yourself? Why did I do this myself? Because Unicron might have been in it. Because there's there's right. there's little things and what they've done what they've done in this film and I'll give them credit. I, I, I say credit for it. I kind of I found myself as much as I was zoned out through most of it as soon as they go there was a lot for me there was a lot more obvious fan service in this than there has been in other films so Unicron to give you some context is a giant planet sized I don't group. want context Unicron to get I'm going to give you context <laughs> Unicron is in the original animated movie and is a giant planet sized robot that basically eats other planets mm. uh, and then like seeing that seeing seeing that with the undoubtedly superb special effects that Transformers The Last Night does sport. I will give it credit for that. The CGI 
is second to none. And the last 20 minutes, I, I, I have to say, was really quite enjoyable. So I thought, okay, Unicron's in it. There's fan service. There's little bits. And you go in and they meet the creators of the Transformers, the Quintessons, and they're in the animated movie. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of into this now a little bit because I'm a fan of this. So I kind of like, I like the kind of the fan service they put in. But it's just the same old shit again. Like, like wouldn't the, the best fan, like you know this thing fan service comes yeah. up all the time. We talked about it before, but like, wouldn't the best fan service be to make a fucking good film? I agree. Really, I agree. But all the Decepticons look exactly the same uh, again, and it, you know, there's no real, there's no real master. There's no real. Um, although the CGI looks great, the character design, the robot design is just samey. Um, I still don't understand why the Transformers have got human faces, but we've been there before. That's clearly not going to change. Um, and just the mean-spirited humour is back again. And like, Michael Bay, what is wrong with you? It's like you literally are like a playground. You're like a schoolyard bully. It's like it's almost like you so might be got, quite a mean you, guy. So you've got Anthony Hopkins calling police officers dickheads or going get out of the way, fat boy, or like, and it's just and all the, they're making like really mean, mean-spirited. Just honestly, like, but isn't that like teenage, nasty eleven-year-old jibes? At but people? isn't that teenage boy service? Just like the other stuff is fan service. Like, isn't he yeah, just maybe. pandering to the kind of like, not no not throwing shade on you, but I. I mean like the bulk of the audience who might actually show yeah. up to watch this film yeah maybe is then but it's just it's just it's just nasty humor it's yeah. just it's just nasty and it's yeah. hardly aspiring to, to no. produce any sort of more positive ideas in the world and it's like and there's there's really awkward scenes where you've got mark Wahlberg and the the, the girl in it who was just there to wear a, a stripper dress uh, which is a quote from a quote from mark Wahlberg in the film there's this really awkward scene where they have a date and they've got this like robot butler who i think is supposed to be wheelie from the it's supposed to be like a riff on Wheelie from the animated movie, and there is nothing like him. But you go, oh, he's just enough like Wheelie to go. Oh, that could be Wheelie. It's not. Um, but yeah, again, it just, just again, it's just Michael Bay taking a huge shit on my childhood. Yeah. Um, that being said, it does once again set up something at the end where you go, do you know what? If another director has a go at this and drops all the fucking mean spirited humour, there is a chance they might end up being all right. So hopefully, this might be his last one. Right, so they've had five attempts at Transformers, yes. but maybe the sixth one will not. Well, be if a, it's not Michael Bay directing, then it might not be a pile of shit again. Yeah, but with this making quadrillions worldwide, it probably will be. But, but as but... it stands, as it stands, to, in summary, Transformers Last Night is still a piece of shit. Uh, right, bringing us out of that transforming world of CGI and Michael Bay's ego. Um, my second choice this week is a documentary. It's currently streaming on Netflix. It's called Nobody Speak: Trials of the Free Press. This is a documentary that is probably worth your time to a certain degree, although I think it is a little bit limited in its scope. It deals with two cases, really, two cases. One is Gorker versus uh, Hulk Hogan or er Der Derek Balliol or whatever the fuck his actual name Terry is. Bally Terry yeah. Ballyhoo, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't care. Um, it deals with, with that case and the way in which um, wealthy backers essentially crushed Gorka in support of Hulk Hogan, but mainly against the Gorka media empire. I think Gorka is a pretty shitty set of publications, uh, you know, overarching. There are a load of other media outlets that were sort yeah. of under the banner of Gorka. Okay. Them not being in the world to me is not really a problem. The infringement upon the First Amendment in America and freedom of speech is a huge problem and it should be a huge problem for everybody. So that story is, is pretty interesting, although dealt with in a fairly um, 
like sketched out way in this documentary that maybe doesn't give you too much more insight than you had previously. Then you get the second part of the documentary, which deals with the Trump administration and Trump's uh, presidential campaign and the influence of wealthy backers and, and media spin and sort of shutting down journalists and all that stuff that we've heard about through the, the first months of Trump's reign. Um, that stuff, again, is interesting and it's engaging to me. I just wish the filmmaker had maybe included a bit more meat on the bones of this information. That filmmaker is Brian Napperberger, or excuse me, Nappenberger, I should say. Um, he is the guy who brought us a couple of other documentaries that are reasonably interesting about similar issues. One was The Internet's Own Boy, the story of Aaron Swartz, which I think I reviewed on this show in Popcorn Movies. This was the guy who um, was sent to jail and later died. He was like a wunderkind uh, internet entrepreneurial kind of data management okay. guy yeah. who, was, who was essentially crushed for trying to free information that people didn't want being freed and then also we are legion the story of the hacktivists um, uh, we are legion was quite interesting yeah. so yeah i mean this kind of documentary i think is is interesting i i'm interested in the topics but i personally and this is just me i want filmmakers who are prepared to go a bit deeper into the story rather than just being able to like touch on a hot topic yeah put a documentary out there that's going to get a load of well if anything clicks. it's quite it's quite easy just to do a documentary and not talk to it's quite easy to I imagine to yeah do a documentary about a controversial subject and get that signed off without having to go too deep into the issue I imagine so yeah yeah and I mean it, it, like I say it's sort of sort of distractingly interesting enough but to me that's not enough like in the era of, of like Netflix streaming and what we've talked about in recent episodes there are so many more of these kind of things readily available to everyone if I recommend this today then loads of people can go and watch it straight away but we should we should aspire to a little bit more than this, I think, both in terms of press freedom and in terms of the kind of level of documentary made about that topic and others. Um, let's move on. By the way, listeners, I want to point out at this point, if we go over this week, which is a, a very, very high <laughs> yeah. possibility, that is my uh, doing really for being away for a week. And we've got so much we want to get out to you guys. Paul, on to you. What have you got next? This will be a homework review, right? This will be a homework review. So this is uh, Bong Joon-ho. Is that correct, Pete? That Haven't is been to pretty, Korea. pretty accurate. People are aware yeah. of this, but yes, that's... That's the best I've done, I think. This is Bong Joon-ho's uh, film Mother, which you gave me for homework. Um, I'm a massive fan of this director and a massive fan of Snowpiercer. Really enjoyed the host. Uh, Mother had been sitting on my Blu-ray shelf for uh, an unacceptable number of months. Um, and I'm pleased to say it was awesome. Yes. Tell me why you think so. Um, just to kind of to, to set the scene a little bit w with Mother, um, you have a, a mother obviously, from the title, yeah. It's your best setup <laughs> yeah, of yeah, all you time. Have, you have a mother, and that's it. So you have a mother um, who whose um, child is not, he's got issues, shall we say. Um, he's got, I'd say, men mental development issues is probably the, the, the polite way of putting it, I think. Um, who is, char who is arrested and potentially charged with a murder that she does not believe that he committed. Um, and it kind of goes on from there, and it, it takes the story takes some twists and turns, and it's kind of what she does to to get him off of the murder or get him out of jail really um, and the, the twists and turns that go from there as without going into too much detail everything is not quite as, as it seems um, and she is willing to go quite far for her son shall we say um, mm. it's very tense um, the performances are fantastic and it works it, it's just another example of Bong Joon-ho being one of my favourite directors working at the moment to be honest and leaves me even more excited for Okja on Wednesday yeah, I mean, it's sort of one aspect that maybe is not um, 
easily discernible from people coming from sort of like outside the context of like living in Korea or, or knowing mm. about the culture is the way in which the film encapsulates this idea about the power that that maternal figures have within Korean society, okay. right? So um, not only in the sense that you have uh, the idea of the Ajuma, like the older woman who may run uh, a small business on her own and just be a sort of almost superhuman figure in, in achieving so much with her time whilst living in a sort of hierarchical society that is not really in her favour, but also the way in which kids are like absolutely at the... Um, uh, sort of open to the wrath of their mother when it comes to um, achieving things academically. It tends to be that the, okay. the male figure goes out and sort of works however many hours that there are under the sun. And then it's the mother's responsibility to raise that child and make sure that child does all of their homework and achieves highly and becomes like this successful, upstanding, financially independent member of society. So the way in which that thing's set up in mother, I just think is such like an interesting examination yeah, so, yeah, of that it's relationship. interesting to have that context attached to it now, actually, yeah. But no, it's it's, um, even without that, that, you know, I didn't have that context before I went into it, I would say def definitely watch it. It's great. Cool. Um, you sent me a very different type of movie. Um, this was The Monster Squad, which I think was inspired maybe by you watching House, because it's the, the director is the writer of House. Is that right? Yes. Uh, this is Fred Decker. But yeah, The Monster Squad from 1987. Um, co-written with Fred Decker by Shane Black that yes. you may know as the director of things like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and uh, The Nice Guys not I think that long ago just, just to give some context is part of the reason I set it home it's up there I think just just behind Transformers the animated movie is probably my favourite childhood film oh geez. The Monster Squad so. oh jeez okay so, uh, there's yeah, pressure on nice. this then play nice Pete play nice um, okay <laughs> so uh, there are obvious comparisons to be made with The Goonies this I think is quite a bit Darker. Um, it involves a group of kids, the Monster Squad. They sort of self-title, uh, self-identify as the Monster Squad, and um, they make it their work to um, battle and defeat and protect the world against the sort of forces of, of evil um, in the form of sort of classic monsters that are brought into their lives through sort of circuitous avenues. Um, it also came up because we talked about The Mummy and how just dreadful yes. that was. Now, if you compare it to this recent Tom Cruise movie, The Mummy, this is a breath of fresh air. It's a <laughs> lot more fun. That like even the stuff, we're talking a film made in 1987, I mean, it's 30 years old, but like the monster transitions in it are good fun. Yeah. Uh, some of the lines delivered in relation to particular monsters that are played for laughs. This film does not take itself seriously, no, right? No, not at all. Uh, yeah, like, who is it who gets... Uh, the wolf the wolf man has nards uh, yeah. yeah the wolf man gets kicked in the dick at one point in this in this film uh yeah so it's not taking itself seriously unlike the mummy which was pretty self-serious for the most yes. part um the the kids gathered in this group is one of them out of like saved by the bell or something i, I really recognize one of these Possibly, actors yeah. but i, think I you, haven't you taken the you might be on something and the, the stephen king rules t-shirt come on you've got to give credit to the there's stephen a kid with a stephen king rules t-shirt yeah i mean it's obviously a film that was made by shane black um and uh who have mentioned Decker. it, Fred Decker? Thank you. Uh, who you know, with a lot of uh, passion and real care for what they were doing, right? Um, I think at the time Shane Black was like mid to late twenties. I mean, this is the time where he had this like nineteen eighty seven. Uh, what he did, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, he did this the highest paid. Though. And he, he was, was in the first million pound screenplay. I think, and he was in Weapon, Predator. Was I think as an, as an actor around he that was, time yes. as yeah. well. So yeah, I mean, incredible success at such a young age for for this guy. And then he was sort of a writer for a long time and emerged as a director in in what two thousand five mm. with uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, 
for me, I when you set this for me, I said I don't really like the Goonies that much actually. Um, I like this more than that. I still find I, maybe this is a flaw of mine. I still find like ensemble. Um, like comedic films based around a group of children to be like quite irritating <laughs> and I didn't see this when I was a kid no without context, and that makes a big yeah. difference no, certainly with certainly without the sense of nostalgia I can see why people I, could you know could could find fault with it I don't think it's a perfect film by any stretch well but... I think it's one of those films as well Paul that like if you saw it as I think you did when you were a kid when yeah. you were 12 or 13 or younger or whatever um this could I could absolutely see how this would be like your sort of um you know your favorite movie of all time well, weirdly or enough, like it beyond was, reproach weirdly enough stuff. i kind of i kind of see it as my goonies because i didn't see goonies at that age mm. and i only saw goonies as an adult and as a result i kind of i think i, I relate more to monster squad than i do to goonies so yeah there's a, there's also some like weirdly slightly like uncomfortable or awkward stuff in this like there is, there is a bit where <laughs> there like bizarre, where, where some bizarre moments, Dra- yeah. dracula sort of like picks up and sort of half chokes a five-year-old girl and calls yes. her a bitch to her face yeah like some of those parts are like although this is a movie for, for the younger audience it's also not like it's also quite like like adult in some of its themes or, or the way that it deals with some of those themes so yeah um positives and negatives from my side but I liked it I enjoyed it and I think honestly man we're living in this world of the new dark universe give me more of these dude like I'll, yeah, I'll watch agree, more yes. monster yeah. squads I think there's, yeah. a, there's like a sequel isn't there from 2007 or something like that where it was revived in, in some form but oh, I don't, I don't know. know I saw that when I was doing research to talk okay. about it so we'll have to look into that later um let's get out of this section man let's get out of this section we've got to get into coming um, attractions coming attractions yes. Coming attractions. Um, coming attractions um and we'll, we'll keep it brief yeah um, this, but by the way because we've been talking for a great old time uh, coming attractions the section of our show where we're going to preview a couple of things coming up that for some reason or other we think are worth discussing it doesn't always have to be films that we're like super excited to see but they're worth discussing in some way paul what are you interested in seeing curious to see excited about um, seeing? american made Okay, Which this is, is the sequel to Made in Manhattan. No. Right. <laughs> Good try, though. <laughs> and now this is the uh, the Tom Cruise, Doug Lyman effort. The Tom Cruise redemption. Uh, the Tom it. Cruise redemption, but ho- hopefully it'll be a redemption after The Mummy, but we shall see. Um, basically, Tom Cruise, it's loosely, I think loosely based on a true story. Tom Cruise appears to re- play an everyman, um, it, it, somehow the least convincing everyman every time he's on screen, but he does always like to play the everyman who seems to get recruited, uh, or a pilot, everyman pilot, as well, no, a pilot who gets recruited by the CIA look, from the look of the trailer. Um, and then it goes on from there. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, it looks like it might be the uh, antithesis to what has so far proved to be a slightly disappointing summer of movies, I think. Um, and the main reason I'm excited for it is because the last time Tom Cruise and Doug Lyman worked together, it was Edge of Tomorrow. Mm. And that actually almost rescued the summer for me. Yeah, um, Doug, Doug Lyman does seem to have this reputation as being a bit of a lunatic and like being quite difficult to work with from, from so all accounts. So him and Tom Cruise should be a perfect mix then. So. But maybe the right kind of crazy <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in combination there. It, it, yeah, if you watch all the sort of behind the scenes stuff for Edge of Tomorrow, which is fucking great. Uh, you get to see that that the dynamic between them does seem to be very productive and yeah. positive and sort of creative. So the two, te- the two tend to get the best out of each other. And I, yeah, I really, really like Edge of Tomorrow. I think it's, a, I think it was a fantastic film. So, um, yeah, I'm quite excited for this coming late, late in the late in the season. I mean, Blade Runner is a little bit later, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see Doug Liman and Tom Cruise work together in because I think Tom Cruise, well directed, can actually be an asset to any film that he's on. He's certainly a personality. So. Uh, yes, excited about that one. What have you got, Pete? 
Cool. Well, for my people, I was going to go with Dunkirk, and I think we have sort of talked about Dunkirk in this section, like long back in in the past. But I didn't because I find Chris Nolan's film so completely bloodless and without sort of true human emotion that I couldn't rightfully say that I'm actually excited for Dunkirk. It could be and may well be a really good film, but I'm going to talk about something else. That is Six Days. Now. I'm not fully confident that this will be any good, okay. but uh, I'll give you the, the, the bones of it and you can see what you think. The main reason I'm interested in Six Days um, is because it stars Jamie Bell, who is an actor that I have grown to really, really like um, from things uh, like, well, Nymphomaniac, he has a fairly central role in. Uh, yeah, the Fantastic <laughs> Four uh, was something. Um, but also, yeah, and, and well, a number of the projects he's been in where he's played sort of, I mentioned Nymphomania, but like he's played quite sort of adult, um, challenging, uncomfortable roles. And I think he's risen to those challenges, <laughs> no pun intended, as far as Nymphomania goes. <laughs> uh, it also stars Abby Cornish, who was this actress who was sort of um, vaunted as the next Nicole Kidman when she broke out with things. Uh, she like, looks almost exactly like her. Like, well, she's Australian as well. But um, yeah. yeah, she was in Somersault, which was really, really good. But that's now good, yeah. a dozen years ago. Um, and she's taken, I think, some good and some less good decisions in terms of her yes, roles since then um, but I like her and then Mark Strong who for the most part is at least solid and reliable in the things that he's in the story charts the 1980 siege of the uh, Iranian embassy in London and is about the SAS mission to free hostages from that situation so a politically charged film Jamie Bell's involved Abby Cornish involved as I mentioned and Mark Strong so it's mainly on that ensemble that I go into this with some hope that yeah that at least I don't think Jamie Bell makes that many bad decisions at this point in his career so we'll see what happens with that and it's out in about two months time I think it's August release this one it is August 4th cool in which case that brings us to the feature reviews um where do you want to start Pete Book of Henry or Gifted what do you think We'll go with The Book of Henry, and we'll do that because I did a coming attraction on this movie, so I was really excited to see it. Yes, I, I, do, I thought this when I went to see it. I was like, did, did you do a well, coming attraction? Okay, and you did, didn't to you? my defence, before we get into the review, in my coming attraction, I did say it, we don't know how it's going to go with Colin Trevorrow, the director of The Book of Henry, because we know him from Safety Not Guaranteed, which was this kind of slightly off-kilter somewhat successful indie movie but who very schmaltzy right who then got key here. who then got sort of headhunted to do the Jurassic World movie that got a lot of flack but I think wasn't wasn't all bad kind of middling in, in my opinion yeah, and so it, it could have gone either way with the book of Henry it could have been really like this guy's got a lot to offer it could have been maybe the other way um, the film if I am able to set it up somehow it stars um, Naomi Watts. It also um, stars Jacob Tremblay, uh, the little kid with the long yes. hair, who he's got short hair here, but the, with the long hair from Room, um, which was obviously fantastic. And then an actor called uh, Jaden Lieberher, who plays the titular Henry. Also, uh, stand-up comedian Sarah Silverman's in this, who's done some things like um, I Smile Back, like serious dramatic roles recently. Yeah. It's kind of transitioning into that stuff. Um, she's got an interesting backstory herself, so it's interesting to see her get this kind of role. And then Dean Norris, that we know as, as yes. Hank from uh, Breaking Bad. So that's a talented cast there. Oh, and, and Lee Pace as well, who's in like Holt and Catch Fire. And yeah, his role is just fucking weird. Lots of other stuff. Yeah, very, very strange. But, let, you know, let's not spoil this stuff. Um, yeah, the, the basic setup is that Naomi Watts' son, Henry, is a precocious child. 
Um, he seemingly is running the whole household. She's a single mother. She has these two boys. Um, and he seems to run all of the finances. Well, he's gifted, isn't he? He's, he's, very, he's yeah. very gifted, Paul. Yes. It's like we're going to do another review of the similar yes. kind of film uh, soon. Yeah, he, he runs all of the finances. He organises the house. He has a lot of like inventions on the go. He has a tree house. Someone built that. I don't know who. Maybe him. The tree. Uh, uh, don't even start me on the fucking tree uh, Outside, oh. uh, in which he, he seems to be like going about inventing new things or like making Rube Goldberg machines and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, his younger brother sort of lives in his shadow a little bit but looks up to him. They're really tight and um, it seems like his mother's sort of just struggling to make ends meet she works in a diner this is where we meet Sarah Silverman who's her co-worker and then they live next door to the Dean Norris character this is where some sort of intrigue comes in early in the film because it seems as if that character may be in some way harming or abusing his daughter who his is stepdaughter isn't it yeah. stepdaughter you're right yeah who, who is ar around the same age as the Henry character the older of the two who lives with his mother Played by Naomi Watts. So um, I mentioned when I set this up in Coming Attractions on a previous episode, Paul, that Naomi Watts makes good and very bad decisions. I don't know what you think about this precisely, but give us a flavour of your feelings about the Book of Henry. <laughs> the film was awful. Uh, I don't really. I mean, you've done well to set it up there, but 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 um, you've just got to mention the other bits that happened. So um, at one let's point, try not to spoil the actual at, at one point. But uh, so. Plot. Uh, so at point at points in the film, Naomi Watts ends up with a sniper rifle. Um, Henry's given out instructions on a on a cassette that really couldn't have been followed. Um, the whole thing is so so schmaltzy; it's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it apart from. I mean, the whole thing for me smacked of an ITV drama. It was so kind of heavy-handed I mean, with the emotion and and the performances. We, we can say at least, to, to give you know people an idea who, who haven't seen this film, that the, the basic idea is that Nemi Watts is so reliant on this precocious young son that when he's not able to be there for yes. her, uh, she then ends up taking... The, the, the reason for the name The Book of Henry is because he's made all these notes to help his mum when he's not around, right? And so she's going to then take on board the sage advice of this 11 year old boy to make some sort of fairly critical decisions in yes. her future and i mean and some of this stuff you just find your like like you want to bury your head in your hands don't you, you when do. you think problem, how is this how has this been approved as a working script for a feature the film? film's biggest problem is none of it none of it is convincing if you want to evoke an emotional response from an audience the the audience need to be able to relate to something that's going on on the screen Otherwise, you can't relate to it, and you certainly can't have an emotional response to something that is just quite obviously horseshit. Um, and I mean, the problems start early on. I mean, the quality of the treehouse they've built, for God's sake. Like, there is no way anyone outside of a first class Hollywood set designer could ever make the treehouse that Henry's supposed to have built, gifted or not. And honestly, the tree the treehouse looks amazing. And it's just, it's little things like that. And the film is so stupid in places where you go, and Naomi Watts is like, oh no listen to Henry and then she goes but don't listen to Henry I'm the adult here mm. you're like, but the decisions that Henry's supposed to be taking for this family are just ridiculous the whole film is I, I, I think maybe I don't even think there was even a good film in here it's just so it's just we, so far-fetched we're supposed to believe that the main um, the stakes here in this film are uh, 
exist in the neighbour, right? Yeah. We're supposed to believe that this potential abuse and the reporting of this abuse to child services is where our attention, our concern is supposed to be directed. But we should be calling child services to the house that is being parented by Naomi Watts. Yes. This is insane. She yeah. sits on the sofa playing Gears of War. Now, no, And no. also, this is, an, this is on a side note, if you're going to make characters play video games in a film, at least let them play the game while you film them playing it. It's so annoying when you see characters playing a game, and she's obviously not playing the game. It's a side note. It's a very, very yeah, small side note. It's a very note. specific to, side to, note, to, to but it is annoying. The, the, the mother figure here is is patently neglecting her responsibility yes. as a mother. But nobody ever seems to worry about that. There's never any concern. There's never any questions coming from, from the school towards her. There's never any questioning coming even from like her neighbour towards her. It's always just like, oh, okay. Over. Do you remember that film Disturbia? Yes. It reminded me of a lot of, of that. Yeah. But in Disturbia, like, you feel like as much as that is a very mediocre piece of filmmaking, you think like at least there we understood the sort of logic of this setup like something malicious may be happening over the road and Shia LaBeouf's going to figure it out over time with his binoculars but instead it's so wrong-headed here to try and take us down one road whilst we're looking out of the window going like yeah but what about what's going on over yeah. there yeah I completely agree and I you know a spoiler warning here towards the end towards the end the um the teenage girl gets taken out of the house where she is being abused and they decide the court decides it's a great idea to move her in fucking next door mm. <laughs> it's just none of it is none of it's believable none of it's convincing it's so 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 overwrought the, the, and just we we just, should be careful Paul when we do these reviews to say like okay so Colin Trevorrow is, is delivered here a, a very sort of a turkey of monumental proportions yes. I would say but the writer of this film is not Colin Trevorrow and I think often what we do with as reviewers is we kind of go like oh here's the director here's everyone a does movie. it everyone yeah. does it and there is you know there is an argument to say there is always an argument to say and I would say you know I'd say it's a pretty valid one and I remember we talked about this way back in university and film studies about whether the the screenwriter should get co-credit with the director. Um, in this case, no, you're right. The 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 problems don't just sit with Colin Trevorrow. In this Absolutely writer. not. And, and and there are elements in this film that are actually, from a directorial point of view, pretty well made. I would say, like in terms of um, the the look of some of the film, it it looks nice. In terms of the the shooting of some of the exteriors and stuff, yeah. there, there's some beauty to this film. But the writing is so off the mark that it kind of throws all of that into irrelevance now the writer is the guy who should be getting our heat here so yeah. uh, just a bit of information for you here the, the writer of the book of Henry is a man called Greg Hurwitz now if you look up Greg Hurwitz on the IMDb you find that Greg Hurwitz is the critically acclaimed New York Times and international best-selling author of 17 novels most wow, recently, okay. The Nowhere Man. His books have been nominated for numerous awards, shortlisted twice for Best Novel of the Year by international thriller writers, nominated for blah, 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 blah. So this is a guy who is a multiple award-winning, best-selling author. How has this happened? I don't know. Is, is this like where... I'm not putting them in the same bracket, but is this like what, what happened with Cormac McCarthy and The Counselor? Because it probably is, yeah, where you think you think you can write this novel, so immediately you can write You can write, yeah. write an incredible screenplay, and maybe is, that yeah. just does yeah, not... The Counselor was dreadful as well. Compute. But, but let's, let's move on. Um, yeah, did not like it. Will not watch it again. Uh, avoid. Although, b before we get out of this, because I forget about the time for today, we're going long. Um, Nemi, what's worst film? No, right? We've got 
Diana. We've got yeah. that thing, Amour, where she goes and seduces her mate's kid. I don't know if you've caught up yeah, with that one Yeah, but then I watched her today in Twin Peaks again and always forgive her. That's it. And, so... and somebody actually asked me today, uh, what is your favourite film of all time? And a, a loss, because I hate that question. I said Mulholland Drive, where she is absolutely yes. phenomenal. So, yeah, very strange. Jacob Tremblay, though, should learn one thing from this. Don't sign up if Naomi Watts has signed up. They've done two films yeah. together. Shut in. Panned. Yeah. Book of Henry. 31% on Metacritic. Yeah, yeah stay well away. Yeah. He would, in, there's points in this film where you go like, he is craving that little shed in the yeah. garden. Because it would be better than being involved yes. in this, this nightmare. Agreed. Avoid like the plague. Right. Let's go somewhere else, man. Gifted. Uh, completely, completely different kind of film, right? Mm-hmm. Here we've got a film about a precocious child. <laughs> yes. Yeah, can you set this one up? Can you remember? I can set this one up. Yeah, I think I can remember enough to do this. So, um, Chris Evans of Captain America fame um, finds himself living with his niece after um, her mother tragically commits suicide. Um, Her mother, the niece's mother, so his sister, was a like a maths genius and nearly solved one of the millennial problems, which I'm not sure whether are a thing or not. Uh, nearly solved one of the many problems so it was big time maths genius yeah these are supposed to be um, like this I think there's seven of them like yeah, the, the sort of un- unsolvable unsolvable problems. maths problems that are absolutely critical to sort of maths and physics one of them it posits has already been yeah. solved but six of them remain yeah. unsolved she so, was working on another one yeah. so Chris Evans is looking after her daughter so his niece um, and has decided to try and take her away from this kind of mass prodigy lifestyle wants to school her in a normal way and lives in a lives in a trailer park basically and wants to give her a more down to down to earth upbringing really because I think he's a uh, He's concerned um, about the impact that this maths had and their and their very demand and both of their very demanding mother had on his sister who ended up killing herself um, as a result of that. I think that sets the scene fairly well, Pete. Yeah, yeah. It's directed by Mark Webber. Uh, Mark excuse Webb, me, Mark Webb. Yeah. That, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mark Webb. Um, we know him from things like with the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer, which was better than both of his. Spider-Man true, a, a load of music videos. It seems like um, is where he sort of cut his teeth. Um, yeah, um, and then this uh, gifted. Another... I think we differ on this one, don't we? Which is interesting. So I'll let you. I'll let you start. Yeah. Um. I. Yeah. Hmm. I. I guess I came away from Gifted feeling like I hadn't got a lot from Gifted. Um. I think it's a better film than the Book of Henry because oh, that thing's doubt, so yeah. mixed up. It is untrue. I. I feel as if um. Chris Evans commits to the performance. I think he's good. Um. If not great here. Uh, I think the girl who plays his daughter is fine. I just and and um, Viola Davis, Viola Davis next next door, is that right? Octavia Spencer. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Octavia Spencer next door uh, is 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 fine. Um, but what I felt most, Paul, and you know, come back at me. What I felt most about this film is that in we're talking about screenwriting with the previous review, and then and then looking at this one the most interesting story wasn't the one they decided to tell. Would have been the story about the mother, do you think? Is that what it, it may have been the story about the mother. It may have been the story about Jenny Slate's character's burgeoning relationship with Chris Evans. It may have been the story about Chris Evans' transition from where he was before to where he is now. It may have been about the relationship between Chris Evans and his daughter, but instead we don't really focus on that stuff too much. Yeah, we do passingly, but what we're mainly focusing on here is a protracted custody battle between a sort of caricature British overbearing mother 
and a guy who just seems like he wants everyone to leave him alone. And I'm not sure that that was the most fertile ground for this screenplay. No, maybe you're right. I mean, I I, I liked it. I liked this film quite a lot. I didn't love it. I have to say, I think it it had some issues. Um, the the bit where the bit where they visit the hospital um, is again is is almost like Book of Henry level schmaltz. And I think Mark Webb is guilty of that in Five Hundred Days of Summer. In but places both of them also has... both of them also have in common like a very manipulative soundtrack. Yes. I, I would say. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I think in places it's schmaltzy, but I think Chris Evans, I think, is an actor that, as far as I'm concerned, uh, having seen him before Captain America, doesn't really need to prove himself. I think he is a very good actor. I think he'll be cursed forever for having the face that he's got, and I don't think he'll get roles necessarily that stretch him. I think he plays the everyman very well. Um, I think you know he, do, he doesn't need to prove himself, in my opinion. I think you think he he plays it quite well. I don't know. I I liked it. I it's I I can't say a lot against it. Um, apart from they said they you know to perhaps overwrought there's that word again some overwrought moments but i liked it i, I enjoyed it i thought the the message was was over was in, in the end quite positive i thought the performances were decent and i came out of it thinking yeah i'd probably watch that again like yeah i liked it enough you would though it's yeah i think quite, i would yeah it's quite yeah. safe this film's quite it is safe. quite safe but sometimes that's it, yeah it sometimes, felt, it felt sometimes like a sort of like a tv movie that you'd get it, it, and it is quite safe but i don't the, the, you know it's not i don't think that's always an issue. Do you know where I'm coming from? I said, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a classic by any stretch, or that it was. You know, it's the film of the year or anything like that. And but, it's okay, not going to be bothering any top ten list or anything like that. One other but, problem with this film. I said that you know maybe the screenplay doesn't focus on where I, I think it should, but that's by the by. It's not my choice. But this film is supposed to. It's called Gifted. It's mm. about a gifted child. We get very little to show that this child is gifted. They spend very little time with her actually doing mathematics mm. or problem solving. And, we, you know, yes, I like the bits where we focus on, like, again, her, her relationship with Octavia Spencer. That's more interesting. Yeah. Have more of that. Yeah. But again, like, we're supposed to believe that the child's an absolute genius. But all we get is these kind of rope scenes where it's like, oh, she's gone into a room and looked at an equation for a while and then magically knows the solution to that equation, even though it hasn't been solved for decades. Like, I just, I found it to be a, a frustratingly thin experience but yeah I, I stand to be corrected by all and sundry coming out of this review probably no I said you know I, I can I can see why it won't be for everyone and I, I do I will I take your point on board actually that considering it is called gifted you don't see a lot of her apparent genius mm. but I just thought that you know I thought the cast were likable enough and I thought it was a, it was just a fun kind of like a fun light-hearted drama I, I, I came out of the cinema going yeah I enjoyed that I thought it was, it was pacey enough well enough acted for me to go. Yeah, that was uh, was nice. It's yeah, it's, for want of a, a more a much better term, it was a a nice film. And yes, it probably was a safe film, and I'll, I'll give you that. But that's for me, just the mood it caught me, and it was fine. It, it did what it needed to do. So, yeah. So, um, from all the things you reviewed today, Paul, what will be your film of the week? Jesus, it's not been the <laughs> the best of uh, gifted. <laughs> gifted, fair enough. I, yeah. I'm going to go with the the on one of our film. Uh, what have I done to deserve this that I mentioned earlier? But in then the show. I've got I've got a week that includes the book of Henry and Transformers. The last <laughs> yeah, night. true. Slim yeah. slim pickings yes. maybe uh, over there. So this brings us to the final section of this show. And yeah, again, apologies that we may have gone a few minutes over the usual running time. But um, I'm going to go first. You're going to go first. What should we go with? You can go first. Can okay. Go first. So. Um, Talking of precocious kids, there, Paul. Uh, I know yes. that you just want—you haven't got your fill yet of those precocious kids. I haven't. No. So I'm going to give you I some haven't. more. Uh, a film that I've talked about recently on the show is uh, Captain Van Fantastic, uh, starring Viggo Mortensen. 
Um, this one I liked a lot, um, directed by Matt Ross and um, a couple of great performances by the kids in a sort of crew who grow up away from society, cut off in the woods and learn about Noam Chomsky and uh, astrophysics and stuff. And uh, so, so literally from one precocious kid to lots of precocious kids. A whole gaggle of precocious Excellent. kids now. Uh, yeah, I, I think you'll like it. I have faith that you will. And um, yeah, that's my homework for you to watch by the time we record good. the next I look forward episode. To it. Um, I'm going to give you nothing to do with precocious kids. Oh, good. Um, I'm going to give you Bone Tomahawk, which I finally caught up with, which is the um, Kurt Russell starring um, kind of genre bending Western horror. Um, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, it's not really what you expect and at times it's absolutely fucking savage so uh, I give you Bone Tomahawk Pete for your homework this week yeah this is one that you need to, to yeah, give me the kick to actually watch because I've been meaning to for a while so yeah I will get on to that by the time we record episode 48 right? and on episode 48 which will be next week so no one's on holiday this week we will be bringing you feature reviews of Okja and Baby Driver which I've already seen and I'm desperate to talk about um, and I'm jonesing to talk about Okja once we get the chance yes, to see it when it drops on Netflix on in, in Wednesday, I think. A couple of days, yeah. yeah I think it's yeah. out in a couple of days. Um, and in the meantime, you can find us on at Strangers Cinema on Twitter, Strangers in Cinema on Instagram, uh, Strangers Cinema at gmail.com. Basically, search for Strangers in Cinema Yo, and we will be there. If you've got this far into this episode, get in touch because you are the core fan base that actually keeps us doing our doing our little podcast. And if you want to set us homework rather than us, us setting each other homework, feel free. Just go right, you two, watch this and review it. I'm more than happy to do that. I have been set a film for homework, actually, but that will be next week's film because I'm not keen to watch it at the moment. But yes, so yes, give us some homework, get involved, talk to us. Right, well, I'm off to build an elaborate Rube Goldberg machine in my uh, in my, in my uh, treehouse, Paul. What are you up to? Uh, I'm off to watch film 191, whatever oh it may be. Oh, my word. Yes. Right, we'll um, be back next week, you guys. Uh, yeah, get back in touch with us, as we said. And uh, until then, it's goodbye from me, Pete. And, and goodbye from me, Paul. <laughs>